Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Welcome to Bring the Jury podcast. My name is Hannah. This is Luke and Brian Sheely of the Sheely Law Firm located in South Carolina. On this podcast, we cover a wide variety of different popular cases within the nation. Um, Lately, it's just been stuff happening in the state of South Carolina. It's a very exciting place to be. Um, You may have found us first covering the Murdoch trial. Um, Sorry about that. Um, But now we've shifted into talking about the Stephen Smith investigation. So Stephen Smith, how we got here, Alec Murdoch's case um, really shed a lot of light onto the Stephen Smith investigation, made it very popular. So they reopened um, what was once closed as a hit and run, um, unsolved. Um, is now being looked at as a potential murder case. Um, We've got a poll going on right now, so you can kind of give us your ideas on what you think happened to Stephen Smith. We have about three different episodes covering this content. This is our fourth episode um, for Stephen Smith. We've got a lot to talk about, um, including potential suspects, um, and the exhumation of the body, and so on and so forth. Real quick, you can find us on Instagram, TikTok. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. All of our episodes are posted, the full episode posted on YouTube, as well as um, published to Spotify and on Apple or Amazon Music. If you miss any parts of this episode and want to go back and listen, we'd love your support. You can also donate. You can find links to donate on all of those platforms as well. I'm going to start off first by touching on an episode that we discussed a few weeks ago, the Alec Baldwin trial, the shooting, the set shooting case. Luke, what, what's the latest on that? Well, clearly the uh, prosecution listened to our podcast from a few <laughs> weeks ago, and we outlined how that was an impossible, improbable prosecution, likely politically motivated, and it seems they took heed and just <laughs> have... Uh, Dismissed that case, the involuntary manslaughter against Alec Baldwin. So, should we be submitting a bill I think, to his should uh, we, legal yeah. team? I think we can assume that we will be uh, remitted for our time <laughs> and our costs and our mental energy. Mm-hmm. And Alec, if he wants to send maybe a signed poster of Glengarry Glenn Ross, um, we'll be happy to receive that as a thank you as well. So, nothing to do with his own legal team or just the shittiness of the case, but. Anyway. Oh, sorry, language. But anyway, <laughs> that is the update we were we were excited to see, and that's probably the best result. And let 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 any justice that needs to be done in that case um, be in the civil arena, so that things can be safer on future sets down the road. All right. <laughs> well, then I'll go ahead and just jump right into the Stephen Smith investigation. Where are we at? Brother? Yeah, where we are is that there is a successful exhumation of. Stephen's body, um, and there are no results back that are publicly known. Um, very likely, the results are you know being examined and finalized. I mean, it's one of those things. Like my father-in-law says, measure twice, cut once. You really want to get this done in the best way possible. So they're going to take their time. Um, but the, the kind of updates that we see from the reporting um, from the, the second kind of dream team pathologist is that they were able to collect um, viable evidentiary sources. So, I mean, often on a, uh, an exhumation of a body, you know, it's 
potentially not in good shape and there's a lot of decomposition. So the reporting from the pathologist or that they actually have good evidence um, that they will able to be able to analyze, uh, work with sled on it, and it's not one of those things that they're instantly saying, you know, we're sorry guys, we just don't have a lot to work with. So that is one report of significance that there is good evidence that was collected um, and that can be potentially used in the future. Is that surprising after eight years or eight-ish years? Probably no and yes. I think this particular group um, that's doing the second autopsy, we've noted that they seem to get called in. What, their, their name is like final analysis. Or, yeah, yeah, we covered that last time. They're, so they're, they're hot shots. Real they're hot, hot shots. shots that come in when the answers aren't had the first time around. Someone wants a second opinion, and that's their kind of niche. But I think they were fairly complimentary of the pathologist originally in the case because, I mean, obviously you're gonna have, you can have decay and things like that. But I think probably professionally it's also a lot harder for them if, let's say, an autopsy is done and not to be too graphic, but things are not put back together well or that it's very sloppy after the fact. I think it could be – it sounds like it can be harder to – exhume a body and then know what you're going after versus if it's a professional job, you know, the post-mortem of the post-mortem, if things are done right, then things can still be preserved and evidence can still be collected. So they were getting, um, Dr. Presnell was getting some um, credit, at least publicly, from the, the team that did the second exhumation about and just being professionally done. I had caught that. Do you think that is a courtesy to her at this stage because they may need some follow-up questions with her. I mean, ultimately, if there is a case brought, it's going to most likely be contradicting some of her findings. So, Luke, do you think that's just kind of a PR tactic at this stage from one doctor to the next to try to get as much information as possible to assist, or do you think it's just they thought she did a good job? Anything I would say would be pure speculation. <laughs> and this is a speculation-free zone, everybody. I mean, I don't know. Of course, the whole team is going to have microphones in their faces. And they're, maybe they're just off the cuff, genuinely pleased with what they've found and that it's in a condition where they can actually do a job. I mean, on the, on the one hand, are they trying to soften some of the criticism? I don't know. Um, but they also don't want to be like, well, there was nothing to see there. It was just dust, man. I'm sorry. They paid all this good money and we are just out of a job here. So, I mean, it's, it's just sound bites to act like things are good. But I, I guess if they were looking for a scapegoat of why they couldn't find anything of value, then they could just come right out there and say it. So they didn't. They acted like it was... Job well done, at least in the way that it was left for them to to discover and exhume the condition, even considering the time and natural decomposition. So they, they certainly weren't piling on the good Dr. Presnell, who has been piled on <laughs> tremendously by anybody and everybody since the interest was renewed in this case. So I was that was just interesting to me. Well, speaking of piling on, I mean, obviously a case like this, I mean, there's a lot of international attention and scrutiny and there hasn't even we haven't even gotten a charge to initiate proceedings yet but there's already a lot of scrutiny on all the parties and so the dream team part of the dream team the um, 
the anthropologist, the forensic anthropologist that was part of this team, Heather Walsh Haney, uh, looks like she's in, and some other people down in Florida are being sued um, for keeping human remains at her lab without permission. So, you know, as, as part of her outfit, and she's associated with the university, um, I think it's uh, Florida, Coastal. Florida Gulf Coast, Coast University. Um, you know, she goes around and helps uh, this dream team to exhume bodies and take cold cases and try to um, get kind of the final opinion, second opinion on them. But she, she is being sued currently um, by a family on a cold case, unsolved homicide. The family last name is Lovett. And basically saying that she kept their child's bones in her lab um, for over a decade. I mean, the initial kind of reporting is for a decade. And then there's on page three of this, I think quotes from the lawsuit are saying 33 years. That's got to be a mistake. That that may be how old the open file is. But uh, the initial kind of reporting is over a decade in her lab. And then her response is basically, listen, she's very sympathetic, but all of her actions are in compliance with the medical examiner's legal jurisdiction over the remains of this young person that was killed. So she's basically saying, listen, it's my job. We've got jurisdiction. But the lawsuit is saying that she, in part of Florida Gulf Coastal, without authorization, used the kind of forensic remains for teaching purposes and other purposes which could make a family upset if they weren't aware of it yeah. definitely so you know there's lawsuits that fly around all the time it's just nothing's finalized but it you know it'll be of note moving forward um so that's kind of straight from the pathologist there there is evidence that is suitable for testing and then part of the team is being sued. So maybe a little bit of bag, baggage on that. Um, Gotta keep it exciting. Yeah, see, uh, there's a quote there from uh, Mr. Eric Bland. Of course, anytime you get an article like that, the microphone goes in his face and he says, well, she came highly recommended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that's basically what he says. And, you know, lawsuits get you know, filed all the time without any merit. Sometimes they do have merit. So we'll see what... what hands out on that um, you know, the other thing of note is you know and, I, and you know I think we want to kind of focus this podcast on kind of narrowing the you know who law enforcement you know are considering as viable suspects um, and you know this whole thing became wide open again when Mark Keel and Sled said listen we're reopening the case and it's not a, an accident, it's not a hit and run, it's a murder investigation. And you know, we did, from a legal perspective, cover the ground for our viewers and listeners on the last episode that you know, just because it's a vehicular-related accident um, doesn't mean it can't be a crime. I mean, there are very serious hit and run death charge in the state of South Carolina, which is very, very serious carries a lot of time in prison, but um, the reporting from Mark Hill is that this is not a hit and run. He's kind of ruling out hit and run completely, and it's a quote from him, 
um, which, you know, he is law enforcement, so they would know the difference between a hit and run charge and maybe a, an accidental, accidental situation. So he, you would think, you would think, um, unless he's just responding to a media question and kind of means really it's, we think it's intentional. Well, they, um, I mean, they put out that well-crafted statement several, yes. several weeks ago in response to the exhumation and in kind of a ringing endorsement that they would be present, that they believe this was murder, not an accident. So, so basically, they we know have, something. We have to take him at his word that this is, um, and I'll just quote him, we do believe it was a murder. We don't believe it was a hit and run. And this is his quote to the state newspaper our local kind of major, one of our major newspapers in South Carolina. So the lawyers here were thinking, you know, they must know something. They must have a bead on some kind of intentional act um, that was not just happenstance or an accidental. And murder is not just an intentional act. It is the unlawful killing of another human with malice of forethought. Even a small amount of a forethought. I mean, it could be right. a s- seconds of malice. And malice is evil and hatred in, the, in your heart at the time you do it, that illegal thing. So if you are talking about, no one's saying that they believe it's a gunshot wound. I'm not hearing that. But if they are saying, sure, you can run somebody over with your car and it can be murder. You see them, you hate them, you're jealous, you use your vehicle as an instrument of death. That's murder. But if it was a drunken accident and you panicked, or if it was equivalent to hitting a deer in the road, then it's not. I mean, Mark Hill seems to be ruling out any kind of hypothesis of being dark on a country road and Stephen Smith being run over by someone accidentally and then that person failing to report it. He seems, based on this quote, to be ruling that out because that would not be malice of forethought for murder. That could potentially be a hit and run. But he it seems like Mark Keel, who's one of the top law enforcement officials in the state, is saying it's not going to be that. So we're all waiting to see what his leads bring. Um, but it seems certain that it's law enforcement's position at this time that was not any kind of accidental collision with a vehicle that then may have even turned into a criminal charge of a hit and run, it is more of an intentional killing. Yeah. So that's, that's big news. And so, you know, um, words matter. And so we get to, we have the benefit of reading press conference releases and this kind of thing. So it seems that's where SLED is going. And so we're looking at people of interest, uh, persons of interest, and I've got a question here. Um, that we can just go ahead and address now and then we can kind of move on to some of the potential people that um, we're looking at. But why have they ruled out Buster or have they? We did discuss that last episode. Um, they have ruled out Buster as a person of interest, correct? Um, or they just they made a statement saying that there was nothing... Well, I think the attorneys for Sandy Smith which would be Eric Bland and Richter. I think they're the ones that said, we have no evidence whatsoever regarding mm-hmm. Buster. They were, they were kind of getting out ahead of that. I don't know that law enforcement has made, but you know, but it seems like the attorneys for Sandy Smith are kind of working hand-in-hand with law enforcement. Um, I think law enforcement has been relatively quiet 
other than saying that we're there, we think it's murder, we're at the second exhumation, we're following leads, but there's no, certainly no new information regarding it. it. Yeah, any information about Buster would have to be new information. I think mm-hmm. the old information that they're following up on, you know, is not any credible information is not related to, to Buster at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of rumors and insinuation, but you know, I guess, you know, law enforcement, no one's, I guess law enforcement would say everyone's a possible, possible suspect until we charge. And then we let the public know who we, who we've charged, but there was no initial information of note. Um, it seems like all the available reporting was drilling back down on some of the original suspects they had Correct. in real time in 2015, Mr. Wilson, Mr. Connolly. Who we're going to talk about yeah. in more detail. But um, because that was kind of an obvious highlight at that time. Um, and we've got this whole circle of sp- suspicion, of course. <laughs> Buster got himself out of the circle. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe he was never in it, but, maybe for, he was never in it. <laughs> but for the trial against his father, perhaps he was never truly ever in it. And you know, I mean, our last episode, they had unlocked Stephen Smith's phone records, they unlocked his tablet, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of information about that, that I'm sure SLED is keeping close, you know, to the vest on that one. Um... With a case like this that's being reopened and investigated, especially in the wake of the Murdoch trial, you know, it would be very important at this stage for SLED to keep any and all credible leads locked down tighter than what tighter than what's tight. I don't Fort know. Knox is pretty tight. Yeah, pretty uh, tight security, Fort Knox. Because any you know, law enforcement's perspective is that any lead, if it gets overly covered that suspect or that witness that could lead to a suspect could become tainted or want to deny any involvement or information due to the pressure of the situation. So, you know, SLED's playbook generally is not to be conducting their investigation in, in open public. You know, I think Mark Keels made a couple of statements because, you know, this is a unique kind of reopening of a case in part due to a lot of the pressure that you know Eric Bland has been pushing and other news sources in part because of the the other Murdoch situation mm-hmm. and you know Stephen Smith's mother was eventually able to ring the ring the bell loudly enough to get attention so that's great for the investigation but um, all this will be done in secret until there's a gotcha moment um, and someone will ultimately get I imagine a charge. <clears throat> And they'll need to do it that way because there is so much built-in reasonable doubt even to the manner of death. You know, SLED being involved, this case going nowhere, being ruled as an accident until years later, of course, which we've talked about. So any defense lawyer that ends up representing somebody, if they get charged, will always have that built-in reasonable doubt that this was not even deemed anything other than a, a vehicular accident with no suspects for so long, but rewards are being offered, you know, publicity is altering people's desires to be involved. And so you're always going to have all that work. Altering how? In making them quite desired to be involved. Netflix is I mean, a big role. Hannah dropped a dime the other day for about 35 grand. She was, she's waiting. Yeah. 
But I mean, so, certainly it's not panning out very right. well. Right, notoriety, money, GoFundMe's. So it's if someone gets charged in this, their lawyers will always have that as a fallback to say, well, the best of the best said there was no crime committed. They also said it wasn't murder. They also said it wasn't my guy because he wasn't arrest, arrested eight years ago. So jury, that's reasonable doubt. And so that's SLED has to contend with that. So that's one reason why, rightly so, they're tight-lipped. They're keeping it close to the chest and just really trying to hopefully, if they arrest somebody, have something, have something so solid that it really just can't be ignored. Right. So... You know, our last episode, we were talking a lot about Stephen Smith in terms of who are the suspects. And, you know, the, they're going back to the initial case file. And there were three suspects that were jumping off the page in terms of law enforcement's thoughts initially. And, and they're basically, the, the first one was Mr. Burkhart. Mm-hmm. Mark Bickhart. Mark Bickhart, who we covered a lot about, you know, he was an older man in Stephen's life. He was the last person to really take a phone call or communicate with Steven. Mm-hmm. He's texting. He's kind of acting erratically, saying weird things. He's hightailing it to Florida and catching aggravated assault charges. He's talking about escort services and shady underdealing. Social media rants. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just acting bizarre. And I think we totally were and I think we were just saying he needs to like be in a bunker someplace. I believe so. Yeah, we put Mark through the ringer. You can listen to him. We did. We put, we put Mark through the ringer, but I, think, I did. I'll take the fall for that one. I mean, you you just cashed him in. Yeah, I'm just trying to get that thirty-five <laughs> grand. Uh, but forward. but I think you know some of the other two people that we'll talk about today. That again, this is these are in the initial incident reports. Um, we've got Patrick, excuse me, Patrick Wilson and Sean mm-hmm. Connolly. So these young people at the time um, came up in the reports, came up in the initial law enforcement investigation um, as classmates of Stephen Smith and they initially kind of came out of nowhere. Um, apparently, Patrick Wilson's stepfather, purported stepfather, um, reached out to law enforcement kind of out of the blue and said, well, number one, said something weird. I'm calling you because Randy Murdoch told me I need to call you and okay so Randy being the older brother of Alec Murdoch but he basically said listen my boy Patrick told me that he was driving with Sean Connolly one night and hit something and then you know turned around and realized what it was and uh, you know got very upset about it and realized he had hit a human being um, with his kind of rear view mirror, his, his, well, his side mirror. And then that's what I know. And so that's how they kind of jumped into the, the page of law enforcement. Um, and so, and then, you know, there's some, I think Luke talked about it last time. There were some attempts to like, well, talk to right them. here on Proctor's investigative yeah. report. Want to cover that a little bit? December 18th, 2015. I mean, that's a pretty solid lead. You know, you got to track that down. So Proctor talks to Daryl Williams, the stepdad, and is like, all right, received. And Daryl says, well, he's not staying with me now. He goes to some Christian school in Ridgeland. Okay, Ridgeland's not very big. So Proctor's like, I drove down to Ridgeland. 
went to Step of Faith School. Patrick Wilson was not a student there, okay? Check off Step of Faith. I then found Legacy U-Haul Baptist Church School. Patrick Wilson is a student there, <laughs> but he wasn't there that day. So, okay, I then drove to Hampton to locate a dress. Couldn't get a stepfather return calls. End of story. Like, that's, that's it. Went, I found him at the school. He wasn't there. I never went back. Stepdad stopped talking to me, so case closed. Meh. <laughs> Live lead. What was the date? It's a that? great day to take a sick day. This is December 18th, 2015. <laughs> and that's really the end of it. Someone's telling you. Patrick says Sean hit him with his truck. And that's it. And Now, why did that happen then? I mean, this report is replete with Proctor just believing this is murder. You know, they see this hole in poor Mr. Smith's head. They're not doctors, not anything. And they get incensed that Dr. Presnell says, well, it's not a bullet hole. And again, Proctor being seasoned law or high patrol investigators saying, listen, there's the body's in the middle of the road. The shoes are unlaced and on his feet. There's no glass or debris anywhere, no, no skid marks. So, you know, high patrol, they're on the road all day long, and he smells something that doesn't just right. sit right with them. So rather than – maybe he was disinterested in pursuing a lead that seemed to indicate Mr. Smith was hit by a vehicle because he was more determined to prove the sensational – killed and left on scene by God knows who, but as far as I can tell, that was the end of that lead. But now, it appears to be in the way of supporting that they're circled back and that is the most consistent lead, potential lead, credible lead. So, um, I mean, it is very interesting that Randy Murdoch is, is name-dropped mm -hmm. by Patrick Wilson's stepfather. And was there. Scene. And he was there at the scene. So this is the biggest little town. It's big <laughs> in terms of, of crazy stuff happening. Little in terms of it is little. I mean, everything. Very small town. We just spent a week down there uh, on actually one of our real cases, defending <laughs> defending an attempted murder down in Beaufort last week. That's why um, three count three counts. That's why you missed us on last Monday's podcast that did not occur. But it's small, and everybody knows everybody, and... Well, well, speaking of everybody knowing everybody, so now what is new kind of reporting, at least for us, is that, you know, Patrick Wilson, you know, not only is he being discussed by his stepfather as like, let me tell you what I know about this situation, at the time of this telling, if we're to believe it, he actually had three attempted murder charges that were pending um, in Hampton County. He was arrested April 18th of 2015. So this is the same year as this situation. Three counts of attempted murder. He is being uh, prosecuted by that 14th Judicial Circuit where we were just having a good old time in last week on our trial. And this case was brought before the grand jury and indicted. So it was true bill, meaning there's enough, the three attempted murder cases were credible enough to be indicted in South Carolina. And guess who represented them? Who? Corey Fleming. Does that Cor sound familiar? Corey Fleming 
represented this young man, uh, Patrick Wilson, on these three counts of attempted murder. Now, this was before Stephen Smith was killed. So he would then be implicating himself in another crime, being a witness to, at the minimum of a hit and run, or, or more sinister implications, but he's represented by the same Corey Fleming that, as we all know, was, uh, has been charged criminally in the financial crimes of Alec Murdoch. He was also the defense lawyer who walked Alec Murdoch into that sled final re- video recorded interview <laughs> that allowed Alec to lie all to law enforcement essentially, um, and, and again, didn't listen to our Friday reel. Didn't listen to our recurring segment, no. Um, but this is very interesting. <clears throat> fascinating. Fascinating, but it's even more fascinating is that after this bit of information was relayed by his stepfather, and they didn't try that hard to really find him, You've... these three attempted murder charges after indictment we're all dismissed by the 14th Judicial Circuit, um, which has close ties to the Murdochs, if you want to go down that route of... Certainly at the time. Of inference. And, or it could be completely unrelated, but it is, could be completely it is unrelated. a fascinating connection that we just discovered today um, that Mr. Fleming would represent. Mr. Wilson. Certainly, with the charge pending at the time, it wouldn't be that hard for law enforcement to find him uh, because he's in the system. He likely had a bondsman. Yeah. And his his location would be on record. So, The other thing that's interesting, other than his three indicted attempted murder charges being dismissed, is that now he's currently charged. Right now... On today's date, uh, you know, the 24th of April, he has a pending grand larceny charge. Now, this the reason I bring this up is because if you are law enforcement and you want to talk to Mr. Wilson, he is represented. He has a lawyer because he's got a pending grand larceny charge. And so unless you're a really bad lawyer, you wouldn't let your client just talk. Uh, without and they can't talk to him if he's lawyered up unless he gets express permission from his lawyer. Um, I don't know who his lawyer is. I see that there's been a request for evidence in his case, and well, it says his actually it says his uh, he had a, an appointed attorney, so it probably means he has the public defender's office. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a conflict. Unless it's a conflict, unless there's co-defendants and he has been conflicted out of that office. But um, he certainly has lawyered up. So SLED would have to go, if they wanted to just grab him up and and interview him and, and as Luke likes to say, like drive down, what do you say? Drill down on him about this statement that he allegedly gave way back. Um, they would have to go through the lawyer. And... There's a lot of heat on this situation, um, so I don't. I don't. If it were us, we'd probably say well, some law enforcement would take the opinion, the position that well, we're not here to talk to you about that grand larceny. We gotta talk to you about this other thing, 
and just scoop them up and say, I don't need to contact your lawyer because I'm talking to you about something that you're not represented on. Now, I don't think I don't think that's right, but a lot of law enforcement would take that position. And the question would become, well, if they got some kind of smoldering confession out of him, would it hold up in a court of law? No one he was represented at that time. I think it would all depend on how he invokes. But um, anyway, very interesting. It is fascinating. Uh, the Corey Fleming connection, the three charges being dismissed. Uh, while this kind of fantasy, or not fantasy, but phantom statement was made on behalf of him through his stepfather that was never really tracked down by law enforcement. Um, it is fascinating uh, to see how much of a small world this is. And then what's going on with Sean? You know, I looked him up and he you know, has a kind of long history of traffic violations, really. Speeding tickets, driving under suspension, He's got some open containers, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, nothing major, but it does... In a missing side view mirror. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's been a lot of speculation that that truck went missing, and, and a lot of people have different thoughts about how it went missing. But yeah, I mean, I... Potentially, at a for, forensic uh, exhumation and a pathology kind of second pathology being done I mean you'd be looking to try to connect any kind of physical evidence or biological evidence to any other evidence to see if it would match but like, I don't know and if you recall in the original investigative report with Proctor there is some evidence of a blue paint chip that was recovered from Stephen Smith's body that they at least sent to a lab and tried to uh, to match it and it could match to a certain year of Toyota truck or something like that. So that was just a lead that was kind of, it was matched, it was identified, but they never, other than like generally looking around that area, like logging trucks and stuff. I mean, it wasn't like they took that information about Sean Conley as a potential suspected driver. And I see no record that they did a search warrant for his truck, look for any damage, look for records of side view mirror repair, paint, nothing like that. That was never done. Um, now, what's being done now, I have no idea, but that was all stuff that was very actionable at the time. But the way this report reads, they were so interested in proving it was a gunshot or a baseball bat wound or just not a simple... Um, vehicular hit in the road that they just kind of ignored all that. You know, other thing of note is that the stepfather, Daryl Williams, is now recanting. He's saying, I never said anything like that to law enforcement, um, even though it's in their notes. Mm. So he's all like, I don't want anything to do with this situation. Y'all leave me out of it. But you smoke, as the kids say. But in our experience, when witnesses to a crime, especially like murder, say one thing and then say they didn't say it, usually that does not make law enforcement happy. And they usually start threatening criminal charges against that that witness unless they come clean, either through obstruction of justice or false information to police concerning a felony. I mean, obstruction of justice is kind of, I talked to a guy today on the phone who was calling me about obstruction of justice and I, when I first got on the phone with him, I was like, listen, you know, it's normally when law enforcement um, 
is just frustrated or gets really upset. They rarely charge as they really should with that particular charge where it actually is a, a major obstruction issue. Sometimes law enforcement just charges that when they just get, they don't know what to do other than they, they know they're annoyed with the person. And it turns out it was the most comical, annoying thing that this kid did to a cop car. So I was right. But um, well, yeah. he's, not, he's also not the only one who recanted perks. So Fitz News did a big um, interview with this investigator, Peterson, who's a former FBI agent who worked for Andy Savage, who originally represented the Smith family on this. And they're reporting that after that interview that that there was a Highway Patrol corporal who interviewed uh, Officer Ginn, who was an officer with Hampton. That's what someone's saying here. Go yeah. ahead. Oh, sorry. And, he, and basically they're saying Ginn corroborated this whole situation with the hit and run and Connolly and Wilson. That was what he was getting. But per that private investigator, Peterson... By the time Peterson got to him, Ginn would not, he had, quote, recanted his prior statement regarding Conley, the truck mirror, and all of it. Um, and now he's a politician, a local politician, is he not? He is a councilman for Varnville, which is a very small town. Um, so I don't know what to make of that. Said everybody's fish-tailing, they're concerned about the powers that be or getting under the scrutiny for anything. Yeah, someone had wrote that they said, and I wasn't aware of this until you started reading that, but they said there's some connection with Officer Nick Ginn. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what it is. Apparently, he's he he corroborated the Connolly truck hit theory early days to Highway Patrol, and then when tracked down later by this private investigator, it's like, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. So now we have two witnesses, one a lay witness who's a factual witness, one a law enforcement witness who are both recanting. We also have, if we're to believe that same Fitz News article, that one of the interested suspects here, or potential suspects, Patrick Wilson or Sean Connolly, is, per Will Folks, trying to manufacture an alibi. So... If you're trying to manufacture an alibi, then you're talking to law enforcement. Again, Friday. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> Don't try to match, manufacture an alibi. Shut up. Just <laughs> Don't, stop talking. Don't, like, Don't try liar. to talk, talk your way out of an international investigation. I mean, think how I much mean, the manu, the term manufactured alibi featured in Alex, Alec Murdoch's trial, <laughs> where that was right out the gate in Creighton Waters' opening. Manufactured alibi from the which came from his mouth, which they claim came from the data to show him erasing thing. I mean, think so. It only happens when you start opening your mouth. So, if you are one of three suspects from a 2015 killing that made it to law enforcement investigation, that either due to sloppy law enforcement. Or someone getting, you know, encouraged to kind of sweep it all on a rug, whatever it may be. If you're now in in 2023, these three main suspects, you lawyer up, you shut up, you don't try to talk your way through a situation like this, or else you start manufacturing alibis, and then your your boat is sunk. Um, so no pun intended, but. Um, not to add just more to just all of this weirdness. We also dropped a bomb, I'm not sure if it was last episode or two episodes ago, that the rape kit that was conducted 
has gone missing. Have, do we have any more update on that or just? I have not seen any reporting regarding that other than, and I think that was even coming right from Eric Bland's kind of press statement saying, you know, he being in close um, communication with law enforcement concerning the investigation, the quote was straight from him saying, yeah, it's, they can't find it right now. You know, basically they're looking for it, but that that's a real problem if that goes unaccounted for it's a real problem if it goes unaccounted for and then somehow finds its way back because <laughs> then you're have a broken chain of custody if you don't know where it's been then you can't verify what it is mm. and that's a huge problem and so you know we were ranting about this last time evidence is not supposed to go missing evidence is supposed to be preserved um, for various reasons uh, which are you know all good police work um, no updates on that. I can't imagine law enforcement would be proud to own that if that's still the case. And then if it does reappear, I can't imagine they're going to hold a press conference saying, hey, guess what, guys? We found it. We found it. They're not going to do that either. That, so we'll, right. we'll see about they that. They would quietly test it. <laughs> yeah. If there's something helpful, figure out how to uh, <laughs> make sure that we can corroborate this chain of custody. And how then, can we... And then act like, what are you talking about? We've always had this thing. <laughs> and then if it's not helpful, then it'll just stay missing. It's, it's somewhere, I think, what was the analogy I made? The Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the Ark gets boxed up in some nondescript box and pushed into a government facility. Somewhere. We have it with our best people. They're looking the at best it. people are working on it. Trust us. So that's where we are on that. It's not not good police work to miss something like that. How are we doing on our poll? Anyone? Anyone? Um, I'll check the poll in a second. We've got a question that just came in kind of about the reap kit. Have they been looking? We may not know this information, but have they been looking for it? four, eight, seven years, you know, whatever, since the beginning? Or is it just recently that it's been discovered? I bet just, I'm 100% certain that it was just recently discovered as missing with a closed investigation, a dead investigation. No one's doing any work on it. And that was basically where the Stephen Smith case was until all the hard work by Stephen's mom and then the kind of scrutiny on, you know, any association with Murdoch's kind of got this whole thing kind of whipped up into an intensity that then Mark Keel is saying we're reopening it and we're considering it a murder. Only then did they start looking at evidence and realize, oh, we don't have this piece. Um, so I'm sure it was just something that they just realized went missing. But, you know, it's, it's problematic because, like I said in our last episode, your evidence custodian is not the most popular person they're usually really thorough. They're usually down in some basement behind a big evidence cage. And you, when anyone signs out any evidence for testing, they got to sign it out, state what agency they're from, what, what purpose is it being removed from property to then go get tested. And then that person has to sign a chain of custody. And then when it gets returned to the evidence storage facility, you got to sign it back in. You shouldn't just have anything like that go missing without a chain yeah. of custody. Really bad, it's really bad. It's usually those yahoos that check it out to go do something that end up being the ones that are responsible for it going missing. It's not gonna be the evidence custodian, because that's their job. You have one job. It's someone who checks it out and will say, well, I'm gonna take it to SLED to get it tested, and then they forget, or they don't follow up, because apparently, let's say it might have been it might have been really interested, interesting when we thought it was a, a shooting case, but turns out now some 
pathologist is saying it's a car accident, so I won't follow up. I won't really care. And then Sled might be sending letters going, hey, what do you want us to test it or not? And then it just it could be in in bureaucratic, you know, purgatory. So that's that's how that can work. Not bureaucratic purgatory. Right. Um, the poll, yeah, we've got 10% of people believe that this was a vehicular accident, while uh, the other 90% are putting all their eggs in the murder basket. Much like law enforcement. So. Yes. Okay. Well. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that seems to be where we're, where where we're, we're heading. Um, Someone just asked, you know, if it was checked out, wouldn't there be a record of that? I guess that's kind of the next step there is to see I mean, that, who's the last person that that, that is the whole problem. Um, I mean, I we once had a murder investigation where we were pointing the finger at law enforcement as someone in law enforcement actually did the crime. Um, and it was a crazy case. And in that case, our rape kit for our female victim went missing. And that's, I've never heard of any rape kits going missing other than our own case until this case. But in that case, the, it got, like, it was in the possession of the DNA testing lab. And some random law enforcement guys checked it out and never returned. Um, and it just, never got returned and so you know it was very sketchy but normally there's a sign off sheet on that you got to say who's taking this evidence what law enforcement purpose is it being removed for and then it usually comes back pretty quickly um and i remember that evidence custodian was livid because it was checked out and missing for like half a year and only then once we had some motions about it did it actually finally get tested but it was it was in limbo. She didn't know where it was. She was making calls to the agency where it was supposed to go to, and they didn't have it. They didn't know what was going on. So, yeah, I mean, not to cast any aspersions on why this would go missing, but in our own personal experience, the only time a rape kid ever went missing was in the most kind of sinister allegations in our mind of who we were pointing the finger at. Right. Finger at in a murder investigation. Um, so maybe it's just small town law enforcement that screwed up, but maybe it's something more we just won't know until we can cast, cast some more eyes on it. Um, We've got one more question coming in. If you have any last minute questions, go ahead and drop those. We are going to be wrapping it up here shortly, but we'll take some of your listener questions. Um, was there any news on like the evidence that SLED found during the Murdoch investigation um, that led to this? I don't believe so. I think it was just kind of the media like kind of putting the spotlight on this case, you know, whether it be Mandy Matney and her podcast, Netflix, HBO, all of those platforms that, you know, at some point name dropped Stephen Smith in relation to the Murdochs that um, I think kind of got us here. Um, the, the way that law enforcement always announced that kind of reopening of the Stephen Smith case after the Alec Murdoch investigation almost seemed like they had something more than just an, more than just public interest. But of course, they didn't say what it was, but it almost like they had some enough of a credible reason to, quote, reopen the Stephen Smith. 
Um, but they never really said. So I don't know if it was just like, hey guys, trust us. As we build momentum and as popularity and public perception, don't we don't want anybody to think we're forgetting about Stephen Smith? Or truly, was there some witness that was more willing to come forward that kind of gave them something to reopen? I just don't know. But and if and when charges ever get brought on this case, right. I'm mad. And charges, let's be real, charges are coming. Charges are coming. Um, and whether it takes a, little, a while longer to get to who they charge with murder or they start squeezing people for obstruction of justice to kind of get up to what they believe the, the real truth is, which can happen as well, kind of charge people and then work their way up, um, we will ultimately see a released full investigation regarding how we got to who they ultimately charged with this case and, and that'll shed light on if there was any correlation between the initial uh, Murdoch kind of Moselle investigation and if there was any evidence or if that was just kind of wordplay to kind of, you know, breathe life into this case. We'll see. Um, someone nodded at the police cars uh, asking, you know, what color the police cars were at the time, I suppose, of this murder hit and run investigation and if they would match the uh, blue paint chip that was found on Stephen, which is interesting, because no. if there was a color on a police car, I believe it is likely blue. But we could, we could uh, to be continued. We'll to be some, continued we'll on that. Do some independent. We like where your head's at. Yeah, we like it. where your head's at. Um, that would be deep sleuthing. Quite a wild turn of events there, but um, yeah, that's a good one. Um, We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Obviously, we could talk forever about this case. We've got different topics stringing from, you know, people out in the Cayman Islands to big mud tires to was there a baseball bat? Who played on the baseball team? Who knows? All of these are unanswered questions that um, we will maybe get to at some point. Um, we've enjoyed chatting with you all this Monday. If you have any other outstanding questions, you can always send us a DM, TikTok, Instagram any of the socials and we can talk about that next episode um, or you know maybe answer you directly uh, follow along on our socials if you want to check out any of the popular clips from this episode if you missed any parts of the episode and want to catch the full thing it will be uploaded this week you can catch the video on YouTube or just the audio on Spotify Amazon music we would love if you took the time to donate to this podcast um, you can find the links to do so on those social platforms or streaming platforms. Again, this was Bring the Jury with Brian and Luke Sheely. Bring the jury. Bring, Bring the jury. Bring the jury. And uh, we will see you all next time. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>